Forest City Church. Anyone and everyone. Well, most of y'all know me, but if you don't, my name is Lauren. Hi. And uh, this is my home. This is my family. I'm really grateful to be here today and to share some things the Lord's put on my heart. Um, earlier this weekend, I found myself on Google Maps trying to figure out if it was possible between Wednesday and today, Sunday, to make a really quick six-hour drive to Wilmore, Kentucky and get back in time for this. And clearly, well, I mean, I, I say clearly, maybe I did make the midnight drive through the night and make it back in time. That's not what happened. Um, I discovered that the drive from Rockford to Wilmore was indeed a little over six hours, and your girl didn't have it in her to go there and come back. But the reason why I was willing and ready to make the trek to Wilmore was because I heard that revival broke out at a little school called Asbury University in Wilmore, Kentucky. See, what started as a weekly chapel service, it happens, uh, I don't know, maybe every week, maybe every month, I'm not sure, but it started at 10 a.m. Wednesday, and last I heard, don't quote me on this, but as of last night around 10 p.m., it was still going. What started as a normal, routine, weekly prayer meeting was interrupted, was shifted, it changed when the Holy Spirit showed up in a way that he hadn't in a really long time. And so from the pictures that I've seen and the videos I've watched and the stories that I've read, people have literally been under the power of God. And to my surprise, it wasn't necessarily a booming, shaking, you know, really like rambunctious room. Most people are holding hands and weeping and, and have their hands lifted and are kind of taking their seats or taking their spaces. But God is doing something significant in their midst. And I've heard stories of relationships that have gone unrepaired, being reconciled, that people never thought would happen. I've heard stories of healing, miraculous healing happening, of forgiveness, people being propelled and empowered by the Spirit to forgive others. That sounds like revival to me. It sounds like what happens when Jesus is among you, right? So when I heard about it, don't, you know, just know your girl was ready to hop in the car. So you can imagine if I'm experiencing a little bit of, oh, I wish I was there then. You can imagine how I felt when of my two years of being at Forest City Church, and I think I've maybe missed two Sundays before. Last Sunday happened to be one of them, and I have major FOMO right now. Because all I have heard about all week is literally, I mean, and quote, one of our staff members who's been here for 20 years said he's never experienced anything like what he experienced last week. And I've heard others say that they experienced the spirit of God, the presence of God when they prayed for their neighbor in ways they never have. And the list goes on and on of the stories and the testimonies. And I'm like, and I missed it. Because here's the thing, when you've experienced God's presence, when you've been with Jesus just for a moment, something in you realizes, man, if I don't have to, I don't want to miss that ever again. And so the question I've been asking myself all week is, Lord, how, how, not can we recreate or can we copy and paste whatever happened last week, but how can we be a place where this is normal? How can we begin on a Sunday morning, heck, all week, begin to experience as such a dynamic relationship with Jesus, the Father, and the Spirit, that we're always being encountered, that we're always being transformed, that we're always experiencing him? That no matter what he wants to do, however he wants to move, we're here for it. We're inviting it, we're available, and we're experiencing it. So I've just been saying, Lord, what do we have to do for this to be normal? See, imagine in that chapel in Wilmore at Wednesday around 11.30 a.m. I don't know how long their chapels run. Imagine if the president saw it going over, saw the clock running and said, enough is enough. And he marched up on that stage and said, I'm shutting it all down. <laughs> 
because teachers have lesson plans. Professors had agendas they came in with. Students had homework they'd completed, presentations to complete, and, and this is all getting in the way, so it's done. Imagine if that would have been his approach. Imagine if last weekend when, when Chad encouraged us and implored us and exhorted us that we're all healers, that right as he started to prophesy and speak and the spirit shifted the atmosphere in the room, imagine if somebody looked at the clock and said, well, time's run out, cut the lights, mute the mics and make everybody leave. Imagine what would have happened. I believe somebody would have missed out on their breakthrough. I believe somebody wouldn't have had the opportunity to experience the spirit healing their heart and then to make that phone call or shoot that text or forgive that person. But I'm grateful because you know what's so encouraging? That's not what happened. When the plan, when the agenda, when whatever was, was in tow for the day got interrupted, disrupted in the best way by the spirit, everybody followed suit. Everybody shifted their plans. I'm sure some of you last week had to shoot a text like, hey, so sorry, I'm going to be late for brunch. Or actually, maybe brunch just isn't happening anymore. And that's because in that moment, you said, I'm going to yield to what God is doing. Man, I, I, I have never prayed for somebody next to me that I don't know before. But something in my belly is saying, you got to do it. You got to see what God's going to do. And you leaned in, family. And that willingness is such a gift and that willingness isn't something in my life I've always chosen. And I'm sure you can say the same, that there's maybe been a moment in your life when Jesus wanted to step in and do something new or different, and everything in you was like, oh, I want to, but uh, actually maybe I don't want to. Maybe I just, I'm good. Well, I think we've all been there at some point. But I've noticed us corporately, and that means individually becoming a people who are willing to stop, to pay attention. To say, Lord, what are you doing? How are you moving? What are you inviting me into? Because that's where I want to be. And so my hope and my prayer is that, you know, this, this section of Luke, we're kind of titling it, Calling All Disciples. My hope and my prayer is that as Jesus continues to draw and call us as his disciples, as we follow our rabbi, that this would only be the beginning. That we would continue to watch and pray and stop and make it the center of everything we do and how we live him and his presence in our pursuit of it. Amen? So I think with that said, it's really timely that we're in Luke 5 because in this passage, Jesus is having a conversation with a group of people who are at risk of missing him. If you want to open with me to Luke 5, we're going to jump in. I said it last week, y'all, I'm just, the cotton mouth is, is, is coming for me today, so I'm going to have to drink some water, because you don't want me to make the weird noises in the microphone. That's not going to be pleasant for anybody here, and it'll be in the podcast, and they'll be like, get that girl out of here. All right, so Luke 5, it starts off, and I don't know if, have you guys been reading along this week in Luke 5? Maybe some of you in Luke 6? Amen, amen, awesome. So, this kind of section of Luke 5, today specifically, we're going to start in verse 33. We're going to go all the way through to verse 39. So I want to recap a little bit of what happens before we jump into verse 33. Jesus calls his next disciple. His name's Levi. Levi was a tax collector, not particularly liked in the community because tax collectors were known for sometimes pocketing some of the money that they were supposed to be collecting. So they weren't everyone's favorite. 
But nonetheless, in, in typical Jesus fashion, he pursues Levi. He sees Levi taking his post at his job. And he says, hey, drop everything you're doing. Leave everything behind and follow me. And sure enough, with just one glance at Jesus, Levi drops everything that we know about his life. And he goes and follows Jesus. And he walks into his home and he sets a table and he invites over to his home for a feast, tax collectors and sinners, the scripture tells us. And he throws what they call a great banquet for Jesus at his house. And it says there was a large crowd who showed up and that Jesus was reclining at the table with all these these new folks. And it says that the Pharisees then, which we know to be a group of religious scholars and teachers, they show up at Levi's home and they become really critical because they look at Jesus and they're like, hey, make it make sense. This is the LAS, the Lauren Ashley Scott translation or commentary, whatever you want to call it. They look at the table and they say, Jesus, make it make sense. Why are you eating and drinking and dining with these folks? Why are you sitting with tax collectors and sinners? Those are not the people you're supposed to be hanging out with. And Jesus responds and he says, I did not come to call the self-proclaimed righteous. I came to call sinners, a.k.a. the people who know they need me and want to be where I am. That's who I came for. And the Pharisees are disgruntled by this. They're confused by this. And and I'm, I'm guessing that their mindset is right. Well, we couldn't nail them on that one, but here's something we can nail them on. And that brings us to verse 33. They say to Jesus, the disciples of John often practice fasting and offer prayers. And so do the disciples of the Pharisees, but yours eat and drink. And Jesus responds to them. He says, can you make the wedding guests of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? But days will come where the bridegroom is taken away from them. They will fast in those days. And I want to give a little bit, you see me, this is when I need three hands, but it's all right. His grace is sufficient for me, even right now. Um, I want to give a little context to the comparison that's intentionally being drawn here by Jesus from the wedding feast versus the fast that the Pharisees are talking about. So when they see Jesus reclining at this table, they're disgruntled because this was a time, this was a moment in time, a season that had been appointed for fasting. And so the Pharisees knew that, that if you were following the Lord, if you were following Yahweh, that where you should have been in their culture in this time set aside for a fast was fasting. And fasting is a spiritual practice where you abstain from food or maybe something else very intentionally because you're trying to enhance your connection with the Lord. You want to commune with God in a different way. You want to hear him. You want to sense him. So it's abstaining from something. It's fasting from something to be filled or to feast on something else. So the expectation would be that Jesus would be participating in this fast, and lo and behold, he's not. So when they show up at his home and they see him feasting at a time set aside for fasting, they are not happy about it. And they're like, hey, we're doing what we're supposed to do. We're going to call you on the carpet here. And so Jesus' response is, when you go to a wedding, can you make the wedding guests of the bridegroom fast while he's with them? Weddings were set aside. Typically, when a wedding celebration was happening, there'd be about a week where they would celebrate all week with the finest food and the finest wine. And again, almost like the fast at this time, it was expected that everyone be at the wedding and center everything they were doing around celebrating the bridegroom, the center of the wedding celebration. So the Pharisees are trying to pin Jesus down because he's feasting while he should have been fasting. And Jesus is saying, The one you're looking for, the bridegroom, the guest, the center of everything is at a feast. So actually you should sit here and feast. Are you getting what I'm saying? 
the Pharisees are so confused because they were not expecting Jesus at a time set aside for one thing, to be doing something else. And what Jesus is saying is, if I'm the sinner, if I'm what you're looking for, if I'm the one you're pursuing, don't you want to be where I am? He's saying, you're looking for me in your ritual of fasting. But now that I'm here and I'm at a feast, I'm God in the flesh, your ritual is officially outdated. You're no longer required to fast if the one that you're trying to please in your fast is at a feast. Will you shift gears? Will you break your fast and will you come and sit and eat with me? Because if you focus on the old ritual, the way you expected to attain your righteousness, the way you expected, the way that you thought things were supposed to go, if you focus on that, you're going to miss the very one that you're looking for in the fast. Can I ask you, have you ever experienced Jesus showing up in your life in a way you weren't expecting? You thought you were supposed to fast, and maybe there was a time where you were supposed to fast. Jesus even says this here. He says, there will be a time for that. But right now, if you want to be with me where I am, it's right here in this feast. And so I wonder in your life if there's been a moment where you began to experience the Lord in such a way that made you scratch your head because you're going, that's not what I was looking for. My expectation, my thought, even my reach to please you was one thing, but you've come and you've interrupted all of it. And I wonder in that moment when you experienced Jesus in a way that felt like the opposite of what he should be doing in your life, how did you respond? Because when Jesus shows up and he invites the newness of the kingdom into our lives, it can be a shock to our system. And I mean that almost literally. It can literally be a shock to our system, to our makeup, to our understanding of how things should go, to our plans, to our rituals, to our routines, to our rhythms. I don't know about you, but if Jesus is doing that, I think that's probably the way it should be. The picture that I can't get out of my head when I, when I picture this scripture is that table that table where the Pharisees were, are, are, are looking disgruntled, the table where Jesus is reclined, where there's tax collectors and sinners and crowds of people gathered around eating, laughing, joking, hanging, singing, dancing, doing whatever they're doing at this table. See, I, I wish they would let me write this episode of The Chosen because I actually see it pretty clear in my mind. I think the Pharisees are lean back, critical, confused, disgruntled at Jesus, not meeting them in their way on their terms. And they're so thrown by it. It's such a shock to their system that they begin to walk away from the table. And they're probably tiffed and they probably have their arms crossed. And and in the distance, the farther that they get from the table with every step, I bet they can hear the sound of Jesus laughing in the distance. I bet they're calling to mind the food that was lining the table, the the wine that was present, the laughter, the freedom, the joy. And with every step they take away from that table, I wonder if it ever crossed their mind as their feet began to take those steps in the dirt. I wonder if they ever stopped and looked at each other. As they remembered the empty seats that they left behind that, that Jesus had invited them to sit with. I wonder if, if they sat and looked at each other and they, they thought, what if we would have just sat down for a minute? 
do we have any idea what maybe we just missed out on? What maybe we just said no to? Friends, in our lives, when Jesus shows up in ways we weren't expecting or predicting, have you ever thought, do I know what I'm missing out on? Am I sure when I say no, when he breaks my rhythm and my routine and my plans, and I'm so shocked, I'm so shaken up by it, am I sure that I want to walk away? Am I sure I want to miss out? What might happen if I would just take a seat, if I would taste the wine that he's pouring, if I would eat the food that he's serving? What might happen And the other thing the Lord spoke to me as I read this was, I just imagine that when Jesus is sitting at that table and and has a moment, I'm sure that he ended the night or maybe started the night with a toast. And and I can just imagine him raising a glass, cheerfully so excited about all of his new friends gathered around that table. and, And I imagine that Jesus, with his glass lifted in the air, had to look next to him. And he noticed that there were some empty chairs at that table. I'm sure it broke his heart that this group of scholars, of of, of folks who thought they knew it all, they got it all, they were masters of how God was supposed to move in their lives. I'm sure, I'm sure he missed out. I'm sure Jesus was just really bummed that he didn't get to share that moment with them. And I think it's the same in our lives that when we say no to the table, when we choose to fast, to to stay stuck in our routines, our rhythms, our rituals, instead of letting go of it to be a part of the new thing he's doing. I just know his heart breaks over it. He misses that with us. And the hope that we have as believers, as disciples, as people who want to be disciples is that we don't have to miss out. We can choose to taste the wine he's pouring. We can choose to eat the food he's serving. We can choose to sit at the tables where he has a place for us. We can make that choice. And later he goes on and he, he keeps trying to drill this point home, this invitation home. He keeps trying to expose this potential resistance that lives within them. And he draws two more word pictures. In verse 36, he tells them a parable and he says, No one tears a piece of cloth from a new garment and puts it on an old one. Otherwise, he will tear both the new and the piece from the new will not match the old. So he's using this example. He's drawing this picture of piecing and patching to say that if at the center of your relationship with God, at the center of your life, if you're centering what used to be, your old life, your old habits, your old ways, your old relationship. And you just try to work me into that. You're going to ruin the thing I'm trying to do in your life and you're going to ruin that old thing too. Are there places in your life right now where there's this old garment? There's this old way, this, this, these familiar patterns, these relationships or decisions or sin or whatever it may be. And you're intrigued by Jesus. 
You're intrigued by the newness that he brings. But there's something in you that if you're honest is trying to piece and patch him into that as opposed to throwing out the garment altogether. Are there places in your life where that might be true? My encouragement to you today would be that Jesus actually offers the solution here. He says, hey, just just don't try to patch me or piece me on. Just throw the thing out altogether and see what I'll do with it when you surrender it to me. The relationship that you know is not working. You know that it's not, it's not bringing life or joy or peace to your life. And you know that you just don't sense God in it. But man, you don't want to give it up. Instead of, of trying to just keep praying on it and, and, and just hoping that God will work his way into it, what if you just let go of the relationship altogether? The place in your life that you know you shouldn't be showing up there, you know you shouldn't be hanging out with those people, you know, whatever it is, what if you just stop making the drive? What if you just said, Lord, I'm not going to pull in, I'm not going to go there anymore, I'm not going to do those things, I'm not going to pray before I go, I'm actually just going to stop going. I'm not just going to like cross my fingers and hope for a different outcome, I'm just going to cut it out of my life altogether. And then Jesus draws another word picture. He shares another parable. And he says this. No one who puts new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the new wine will burst the skins and it will be spilled out. And the skins will be ruined. But new wine must be put into fresh wineskins. This idea of new wine. He knew that when he spoke this to the Pharisees, they would know exactly what he was talking about. They understood the winemaking process. They understood that if you wanted new wine, if you wanted a new batch of wine, you couldn't put it in an old skin. A wine skin that had been used already to produce a different wine, a different batch. You had to start fresh with a whole new one or you'd ruin the new wine that wanted to come forth. So what Jesus was saying here was, There's something I'm trying to do. There's a kingdom I'm trying to usher in. I'm trying to put at the center of everything a different group of people. It's actually not just you and the religious folks. It's the folks on the margins. It's the leper. It's the poor. It's the oppressed. It's the widow. It's the sick. It's the disenfranchised. These are the people that I'm putting at the center that that I'm asking you to put at the center. I'm trying to bring out new wine. I'm trying to bring a new kind of people into the fold that you thought was only limited to your ethnic group and your religious group. And I'm trying to bust that skin. I'm trying to bust that framework. I'm trying to ruin that understanding, that old understanding that you had. And with my life, in my kingdom, in my presence, in my power, do something totally different. And he said, and if you don't let me do it, you're going to ruin the thing I'm doing and you're going to ruin the thing you were doing. He says, new wine has to be put into new skins. I shared an example of this last week and um, last week, last service. Um, Wine skins are, are like methods or systems or approaches that we take. And Jesus, I just see him in my own life. I don't know about you always being in the business of trying to get rid of what Lauren used to do or Lauren thought she should do or what Lauren thought was best for Lauren. And I think it's similar in our church. 
we used to have a worship night in this room and we pack in here. I mean, literally this time last year, we had almost 800 people in this room. It was wild. And that service, that approach in this room was a wineskin. And there was nothing wrong with it. The Lord used it. It was beautiful. We had a great time, but we left that and we had a sense that the new wine, the new thing the spirit wanted to do in our worship culture, in our church, in and through us, couldn't be held this same way anymore. Because if we're a little honest, sometimes it felt like the production value was really high and like people packed in here and they expected a concert and not as much as a sacrificial worship experience. So there was nothing wrong with that. I know the Lord used it. We were sincere. We fasted. We prayed before that. We, we asked him to move. But still, we got to a point where we got together as a team and said, this wineskin, this way, with the, all the lights and all the production and all the introductions and all the pauses and all the stopping and going, it just can't serve the thing that we know in our bellies Jesus wants to do in and through us. So we've got to change it. So when you hear about the glory haven, that's why we do that. Because so many churches and so many leaders would say, so you went from a gathering that had 800 to a gathering that now holds 80? Yeah, because the, the gathering with the 80 is holding the new wine. <laughs> so we want that. If it grows to 800, cool. If not, I don't really care. We were willing to bust that skin, if you will, to ruin the wine skin, to get rid of it altogether. And so my prayer for us today, and Ben, you can come on. Oh, they're already here. Look at that. <laughs> when Jesus wants to move in our lives, my prayer is that we'd be willing and open wherever it is, in your career, in your job, in your finances, in your relationships, in your family, in your marriage, with your kids, with whatever it may be. My hope would be that we don't, we don't try to force him to fit into our systems. My hope and my prayer would be that, that we don't feel like he's obligated to shrink into our comfort zones. My prayer and my hope would be that, that we don't just find ourselves trying to restrict him to our expectations. But instead, if we want new wine, if we want the new thing that Jesus wants to do in our lives, in our city, in our communities, in our church, we've got to surrender. We've got to be willing to let the spirit make us a flexible people. We've got to be willing to let the spirit empower us to throw out all of our plans, all of our expectations. Because some of us are looking for him in the fast when he's at the feast. And man, you don't want to fast if Jesus is not with you in a fast. Fasting is already difficult. You don't want to be anywhere Jesus is not because do you know what you're missing out on? Do I know what I'm missing out on? Do we know what we're missing out on? I feel like the Lord said to me, and I know that like, you know, my generation loves to coin the like little phrases or whatever, but the opposite of fear of missing out is fear of the Lord. That's it. So we don't have to like sit on pins and needles and be like, oh, Jesus, I hope I don't miss you. I hope I don't miss you. No, it's the fear of the Lord. Be aware of his presence. 
be intentional, be watchful, be prayerful about where he is, about what he's doing and lean into it. That's the fear of the Lord. It's being in awe. It's being aware of him at all times and all things so that you don't miss him. Can you guys stand today? My prayer is that he would fill us with new wine. That he would help us to contain it and to grow it rather than to lose it through stubbornness and inflexibility. My prayer is that he would recognize, that we would recognize the ways, the powerful ways that he wants to work in our life and that we would be willing to throw out our expectations, throw out our ideals, throw out our rhythms, our practices, our religious rituals that maybe aren't even rooted in him. Because if he's not there, we don't want to be there. So Jesus, we just say as your sons and your daughters, we want to be where you are. We want to be like Levi, wherever we find ourselves, when we see you, when we lock eyes with you, when we meet with you, we want to be willing to drop everything and follow our rabbi. We want to be willing when we sense you moving in a relationship that we know isn't what you have. We want to be willing to let go of it and let you in instead. We want to be willing when we're used to being in small groups with people who are just like us to open up our homes and our tables to people who are completely different and not just for the sake of different, but for the sake of new wine coming forth. We want to make a priority of the things that you say are a priority. Maybe in one season they were one thing, in this season they're a new thing. God, help us make new wine out of us. We trust you, Lord. We just invite you in. Let's just take a moment. We have a few minutes left. Let's just take a moment. Ask the Lord, is there a place in my life where I'm piecing or patching you in? Is there a place where I'm so focused on the taste of old wine that my palate isn't even adjusted to the taste of the new, but I want the new if it's you? Is there a place in my life where I've been focusing, centering, paying attention to the wrong thing and I could miss you, Jesus? Help me so I don't miss you, Jesus. Help us so we don't miss you, Jesus. Have mercy on us, Lord. Help us, Holy Spirit. Empower us that however you're moving, whatever you're doing, that we would look you in the eyes and see it and reorient our lives around it, reorient our systems around it, reorient our relationships around it, reorient our finances around it, reorient our generosity around it, reorient our talents and passions around it because we want new wine. We need new wine. There are people in this church, I read the prayer cards every week who are facing addiction and illness and drug abuse and confusion and anxiety and depression. Jesus wants new wine to come out of you, my friends. He wants it for you. He has it for you. He has it for you. Would you surrender and would you let him in? He wants it for us. You say, come Holy Spirit.
If you're in this room and you know that it's not just an area of your life, it's your whole life that you haven't surrendered to Jesus. If you're thinking there's something about this man, there's something about him that my my heart is stirred and, and, and something in me is saying, maybe I need to give it all to him. If you want to surrender your life to the Lord today, Can we all just bow our heads? If that's you, would you just raise your hand? If you know you haven't given your life to him, you haven't confessed him as the Lord of your life, as the one that you wanna put your faith and your trust and your hope and just keep your hands, keep them high, if you know that's you. Father, I thank you for every single son and daughter right now who is saying, I wanna say yes to you. I wanna say yes to new wine. I wanna say out with the old and with the new. I wanna say whatever Jesus has for me, the life he wants for me, the peace he wants for me, the joy he wants for me, the hope he wants for me. I want every single bit of it. God, I thank you for every single one in this room right now who's saying yes to that. And if that's you, I wanna encourage you after service to come up to the front and let us pray for you. And I mean it. Let us pray for you. Let us cover you. Let us walk with you in this journey as you wait for new wine. Oh, Lord, we're so grateful for your presence in this place. We're so grateful that we have the opportunity to put our hope and trust in you. And so we do today, Lord. Whatever it looks like for us, we do. We say yes. And we ask that all week, all afternoon, you'd bring new wine out of us, that we would sense you showing us how to yield to you, to submit to you, to surrender to you, whatever it looks like. And we're going to watch your power and your presence unfold in our lives in ways we could have never imagined as we say yes. We love you. We honor you. It's in your name, Jesus, that we pray.